This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We will begin in the book of Isaiah chapter 60. We will then go to the book of James chapter 4. Then we will proceed to the book of Matthew 24 and ultimately we'll make our way back to Romans chapter 1. So that's where we're headed today. Bless all of you. You may say, Pastor, you look good. Well, I do look good. I feel good. I haven't canceled my gym membership. I'm still going to the gym. So bless all of you. We pray health over you, uh, that you're walking with the grace of God and the mercy of God. I encourage you to continue to pray for our president and the leaders of our land. And so again, we're going to begin today in the book of Isaiah chapter 60. When you're unchallenged, you're unchanged. So the, air, the, the word drift, it means to deviate from a course. And so God never desires us to drift from the things of God. And it's very easy to do that, especially in the times we're in right now. So I encourage you to grab a hold of the things of God. Grab a hold of the word of God unlike any other time. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine. Arise, arise from the depression and the circumstances that have kept you. The word shine there literally means to be radiant. And so we've been charged here to arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you with the glory of the Lord upon you. The message says, get out of bed and wake up. Verse number two, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. The darkness shall uh, cover the earth. In other words, the whole earth is wrapped in darkness. And so we begin to see something here that, that something strange is happening in our world. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. So we find out right there with that statement, he's not writing to, to heaven. He's writing right now and he goes on to say, and deep darkness the people. Or deep darkness all the people. And so this, this dense darkness here is, is over all the people of the land. But he goes on to say, but the Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen upon you. And so this is a triumphant declaration here. It says that, that the Lord's glory will rise upon each one of us. So I, I challenge us. This is a time to allow the Lord to arise with us, to shine upon us, to believe God. I believe this is some of the greatest hours of the church is when we begin to live and allow the glory of the Lord to rise upon us. Now, turn with me to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and as you're turning there, uh, remember this. I, I cannot ignore the confrontational parts of Scripture that the truth here, it, it cannot be ignored. I found a great uh, verse in, in Proverbs 23, verse 12 in the Passion Translation. It says, pay close attention to the teaching that corrects you. And so again, part of this today is to help us to get back online. I believe there's going to be some incredible biblical truths for every one of us. So stay with me here within the Bible. James chapter 4, we'll go verses 1 through 6. James 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? What's the cause? He goes on to say, do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? That battle begins on the inside of us, and so 
when he begins to list these things, understand he's talking about there's something on the inside of every one of us that's trying to pull us away from the things of God. And I believe what he mentions in verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 is, is the process of, de- de- of deterioration. He goes on to say in verse 2, you lust and you don't have. You murder and you covet, but you cannot obtain. Literally, you scheme to satisfy your desires, but you can't obtain it. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, or your motives are corrupt. That you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so you begin to see here the the desires that we go after. And, And notice the wording he uses Our pleasures on the inside, we lust, we murder, we covet. And all these things are aimed at me. Me, 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 my pleasures, my pleasures. Now, when you see what he's talking about here, these actively, right here, these these points actively point to something here that you got to get today. Verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Adulterers and adulteresses. So when we see what he's talking about here, these these words that he uses uh, locates us that at one time we've made a vow. We've made a covenant vow that we're going to terminate all past relationships for this one vow. And so when he he says adulterers and uh, adulteresses, he's telling me and you as children of the Most High that we've exchanged this relationship with God in place of the world. So now we have divided loyalty. Now, I I cannot take lightly the the warnings that Scripture gives me that are meant to protect me. So when I see this word here, adulterers or adulteresses, if you're married in life, you can understand some of these words. In in my my married life, I could lie to Shelly, I could cheat, I could yell at her, I could get angry with her, but not one of those words would be as severe as the word adulterer. So when we hear that word, remember, that has the meaning, we've broke a covenant. We've broke a vow that we made with the Lord Jesus. We've diverted our attention. Keep reading. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world, and the world refers to the world system, to its values, its mindsets, its philosophies of life that run contrary to the will and the way of God? So when you see the word world there, it's in opposition to the things of God. And when I begin to do this, knows what happens. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So as a spiritual adulterer, we've chosen that. And because of that, I'm the cause. I'm the cause. So when I see the word adulterer, again, it refers to someone that that is cheated. It's flirted. And so I broke that covenant with Jesus and I replaced it with the world. And because of that, it's a self-imposed thing that I become an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. 
And so this is the seriousness of this verse. And again, he's speaking to believers. For me to be a spiritual adulterer or a spiritual adulteress, that means there was a time in my life that I made a vow to Jesus to be Lord of my life. I came in covenant with Jesus. And so I go back to all that he said in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. And if I don't pay close attention to this, I'm going to get into crazy trouble here. And as the church, we can't act like this isn't real. I cannot ignore this. This was a strong warning, I believe. And so I think about this in this terms, that if I'm driving my car and I come up to a flashing yellow light, you know what that means? You better yield. You better live with caution. You better pay attention. But if I see a flashing red light, what does that tell me? You better stop. You better stop. And so I believe his warning here to some, it's a flashing yellow light. To others, it's a flashing red light. It's a warning. Is this me? Does verse 4 define me? Verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, without reason or with no purpose? So when I see what he's saying, understand this with the word of God. God says what he means And he means what he says. His scripture does not change. That's why I I must hold on to the word of God. He goes on to say at the end of verse 5, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. He, He longs for us. He envies with us for that intimate relationship. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. So when we see the word proud, those who who feed their self-worth that have become independent on God. He, He resists the proud or the prideful. The message says you want your own way. You you appear important. So when I look at what he's talking about here in the area of pride, it's the only place in the Bible where you find that God resists people. And so it's a stiff arming of God. I don't need God. I got everything I need. But he goes on to say at the end of verse 6, but God gives grace to the humble. When I walk with the robe of, of humble or humility, it's like a magnet to God. And so I think about these terms. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. it says, my people who are called by my name, if they'll humble and pray and seek his face and turn from her wicked ways, I'll heal their land. I believe this is a time of of a robe of humble that say, Father God, we gotta have you. We need you. You're the answer for America. So I encourage you, get on your knees, call out to God, repent, and ask God to begin to move in our land. And God's word's true. It will come to pass. But I got to pursue God. And I only pursue God, not, not for my own benefits, but that my devotion to God is pure. It's my whole heart to him, Father. I serve you, Lord, with everything I have. Now, turn back with me into the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24 and as you turn there, you begin to see in our world, there's, there's widespread um, 
deception. And it doesn't matter if it's in the United States. It doesn't matter if it's in Tel Aviv this morning. It doesn't matter if it's Munich. It doesn't matter if it's in Beijing, China. There is a deviation from the things of God. I cannot allow that to happen. I've got to stay focused on the things of God. Now, when we come here into Matthew 24, I believe this passage is going to give us some incredible biblical insight on what's going on right now. So we begin Matthew 24, verse 3. Now, as Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Lord, tell us when these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What will the completion of this thing called earth and the world look like? Now, I I want you to to really to get into the word here. Let the word teach you today because you'll find out that Jesus doesn't blow it off and say, that's not going to happen. Let's, let's look at the word of God here and just watch and see how close it is to, to where we are right now. Verse 4, and Jesus answered and then said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. So when I look at this right here, the first thing, the foremost thing that Jesus says is don't let anyone deceive you. To wander off the course, to deviate from the timely tested uh, practical biblical truths of the word of God. Don't let anyone lead you into error, whether it's by the philosophies of man or better stated right now, the intellectual side of human beings that that try to replace the word of God with human traditions and they disregard the teachings of Christ. So the very first thing he says, take heed that no one deceives you. So if this is his first warning, man, I better heed this, okay? Verse 5, and when we get rolling here, I want you to pay real close attention on how many times the Lord Jesus will use the word many. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. They will lead many astray. If I don't stay with the teachings of Jesus, I'm going to fall into this category. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. Don't panic or give in into your fears. I want you to think about that right there. Wars and rumors. Man, if you've lived very long on this earth, you see this is almost a, a continuous ordeal that takes place. So we're seeing that. All these things must come to pass But the end is not yet. The breaking apart of the world system must come to pass, but it's not yet. Verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Both ethnic and political. We're seeing this take place. And there will be famines. The word famines here in some translations will say in place after place. 
The best description of famines that I found is it means this, there will be economic disruptions. That's what that word famines mean. It means economic disruptions. There will be scarcity. There will be inflation. So just think about this right now where we're walking in. Economic disruptions. We see what happened with the stock market in two weeks' time. The scarcity. We look. You can go to the the, the grocery store. You won't find toilet paper. In many places, you will not find a can of soup. So when you look at this right here, is Jesus giving us warnings that these things are going to happen? Yeah. That's what I believe he's doing. So he says here, famines. And then he uses the word pestilence. The word pestilence in the Hebrew means horrible epidemics. Horrible epidemic. So I can go right now, in our society right now, if you go into Africa, there's an incredible uh, epidemic of pestilence called locusts that are going on. But if you look and you see what's happening globally right now, I begin to see Jesus, he spoke this. And he told us that these things would begin to take place. And he goes on to say, and earthquakes. In various places. Some translations say in epic proportions. So when I see famines, I see pestilence, and I see earthquakes in epic proportions, this is not only the loss of property, this will be the loss of human life. This is what the Lord Jesus said. Now I want to give you some good news today, okay? Many of these passages here, when he deals with famines and pestilence, it will take us back into the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. That was when all the plagues came on the Egyptians or the Pharaoh. If you were to go back and look at those, some will say this, there was complete darkness on the Egyptians and the world, but not on the Israelites. They lost their cattle, but not the Israelites. There were hailstones, but not on the Israelites. God has always been a God that takes care of his righteous. That's why King David said this, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. So I put hope, hang on to God. Live for God. And then the greatest of all those, that that when the spirit of death began to move, remember the protection was live under the blood. Stay under the blood, okay? That doesn't mean we're any better than other people, but when you identify your life in, in Christ Jesus, man, I come under the blood. I come under protection. Let's keep reading in this passage. Verse 8. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Merely the beginning. These are the beginning of sorrows. He didn't say this would be the end. Now when you see the the statement there, the beginning of sorrows, it likens this to a, a woman that is getting ready to give birth to a child. That the labor pains The contractions start out mild, and not that I'm a woman or I'm tough enough to be a woman, okay? 
But the labor pains begin very mild and they get stronger and stronger. But not only do they get stronger, they get more and more intense. This is what he's warning of, okay? This is the Lord Jesus. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nation for my name's sake. This is a warning from the Lord Jesus that when you make Jesus Lord of your life, there will be persecution. When you speak in the name of Jesus, there will be persecution. Now, you can say a lot about God, Father God, God this and God this. You won't get the, the persecution you do when you speak out about the name of Jesus. So there's warning. Verse 10. And then many will be offended. They'll stumble. They will betray one another and they will hate one another. We're seeing this more and more in, in, in society globally. That you begin to see hatred unlike times that any of us have ever seen. Verse number 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and they will deceive many. They will be led away. Now, when I looked at verse 5 and I looked at verse 11... And he says that many will come in my name and many false prophets will come and deceive many. I look at that and I think, if someone came to me right now and said, I'm Jesus, I would say, right, buddy. Right, pal. So how does this deception start coming? I believe we have this thought in our world right now that everybody serves the same God. We just go through different means to get there. Let me highlight something. There is only one God, and he's specific Yahweh, better stated, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Hebrew God. The Lord Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way, and I highlight this, the only way is through the Son. I cannot be misled by any other way. And you know what? You can get mad at me all you want. This is Bible. I believe the word of God. Many will be deceived. Verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the increase of sin will abound. What is morally correct will begin to deteriorate. Because lawlessness will abound. Now that word abound there means it will become excessive. It will become over the top. The love of many will grow cold. The love of many will go cold. When I look at the love of many will grow cold, the Lord Jesus said something very interesting in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, obey me. So was he telling us this, that the reason the love of many would go cold is because the many are the ones that say, I won't obey the word of God. I'm not going to live by the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 12, or the, yeah, the end of verse 12, or verse 13, 
But he who endures to the end, he holds his ground in conflict. The one who bears up in adversity, the one that holds out under stress and pressure, the one who perseveres under pressure, the one who lives with the brave endurance, the one who endures till the end shall be saved. So when I read this, he says here he will experience life and deliverance. This was Jesus' words. And he says, this is how this end time will look before the wrap-up. Strong warnings from the Lord Jesus. Now, go with me to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And when you read the book of Romans, this is the author was the Apostle Paul. And oftentimes in the book of Romans, he's writing to a society, but even more so believers that have rejected the things of God. Do you know some theologians believe the most significant chapter in all the Bible is Romans chapter 3. We're in Romans 1. Now, I want to highlight some things here, okay, that I believe God's wanting to move within every one of us today. Verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God. The, the holy anger of God. The angry displeasure of God. Now, I know that's probably not a popular topic within churches or believers, but, but I, I can't overlook it. The wrath of God. There is a side of the wrath of God, and when you see the wrath of God, it literally means it's God's action in punishing evil. This is going to take place. Well, pastor, can't we talk about the love of God? We can. And I believe God's a God of love. He loves us all. He loved the world. But for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against. Now, when I see the word against, what is the determining factor here of the wrath of God? What's the determining factor whether I see the wrath of God or not? It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness or the godlessness and unrighteousness of men. And when you see the word unrighteousness of men, the wickedness of men. So what he gets over to is the wrath of God will be against people that live against godliness and also have a form of wickedness in their life. Now watch how he goes ahead and identifies this. Who suppress the truth. Who hold down the truth in unrighteousness or wickedness. So he's literally saying here, the lawlessness or the wickedness of humanity that deliberately smothers the truth. They smother the truth 
to protect their own lifestyles. Better stated here, they suppress the truth. They hold false views of God or the teachings of the Bible. They don't want to hear the word of God. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God, the knowability of God, is manifest or evident in them, for God has shown it to them. So what you see here is the knowability of God is inside every human heart. I believe when God says this right here, that's part of every one of us's DNA. Every one of us have a sense we know that there's a God. Every human being. Now this is Bible. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes or his holy attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he says... Because of all my attributes, it leaves everyone without an excuse. My opposition to the truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance. And I, I can't suppress the truth in order to live my own way and then think I can have an excuse. So when we go back and look what he's talking about, gang... The wrath of God is real. And there will be a day that I'm going to stand before God. And remember this. There will be no excuses. Verse 21. Because although they knew God. Although they knew God. There's a general knowledge, but there's also a personal knowledge. And so the general knowledge would be, I knew about God, but the personal knowledge is, I know Jesus as Lord. So when you see they, they knew God, although they knew God, they instinctively knew there was a God. In other words, they knew that there was the fingerprints of God upon them. So when we read in here, although they knew God, that word knew is in past tense. So better stated, it says they once knew God. At one time, they knew God. But they did not glorify him as God. The word glorify means they wouldn't give him recognition of God. The word glory is also rooted in the word worship. They wouldn't worship God. To worship God is to obey God. So you know what he's saying? They knew God. They knew about God. But they wouldn't glorify him. They wouldn't worship him. Or they wouldn't obey him as God. And then look what it says. Nor were they thankful. They quit giving him acknowledgement of, thank you, Father God. Living with a heart of gratitude. Man, I believe it's huge. That's, that's part of our praise. That's part of our worship is, man, Father God, I give you glory. I thank you. I thank you. 
So when a, a person or a society quits glorifying him as God and quits recognizing him and giving him thanks, look what it leads to. And they became futile. They became futile. It means to make empty. They became vain. They became foolish. They became useless. They became confused. They were perverted in logic of those who do not honor God or show him any gratitude. So as a race, when I, when I quit worshiping him, I quit glorifying him, I quit obeying him, and I quit giving him thanks. I become futile. Where do I become futile? And they became futile in their thoughts. Wow. So you begin to see the, the progression here. And their hearts were darkened. A society or a person that moves away from God steps into a thing called intellectual nonsense. And it creates a vacuum that is spiritual darkness. So he says they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, Paul was not saying that they were unintelligent. But a human being may be intellectually brilliant, but anytime a human being drifts from the truth of the word of God, he drifts from acknowledging God and worshiping God, they become futile in their thinking and better stated, their foolish hearts become darkened. And so when my heart becomes darkened, I will be dominated by spiritual darkness. Now in this verse here, he says their foolish hearts were darkened. What does a heart do? My heart pumps blood. So instead of pumping the things of God, I start pumping foolishness within me. Verse 22. Professing or claiming to be wise. And I dug in there claiming to be wise. You know what the word wise signifies? They were highly educated. Likewise, Professing to be wise, they became fools. The Greek word for fools means moron. Now, when Paul wrote this, he didn't try to spare or mince his words, he didn't apologize for his words. But he is literally identifying a society that becomes intellectually morons, which ultimately leads to a society that becomes insane. So when I start getting my information entirely from human beings, whether that's the news media or the social media, you're opening yourself up to something that you don't want to go to, okay? Stay with the Word of God. 
Stay with the word of God. That's why the Bible says, look up, look up. Help's on the way. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. So what do we say in these trying times that we're living in right now? Do not reject God. And better stated, do not reject the word of God. Don't make up my own rules of what God should be and what God should do. And so when we go on this right here, what ultimately happens here is we try to make God in our image. I'm made in the image of God. And so let me ask you some questions here. Has your moral compass gotten off track in these times? Have I compromised the truth in exchange for a lie? See, again, I I want you to hear these warnings this morning. These are strong, strong warnings. Let me ask you here. And I'm talking to you all at home, right there where you're at. Do you glorify God? Do I worship him? Do I obey him? Am I thankful to him? See, I can, I can go back and I can start where we start. God's desire is to rise and shine on us. Yeah. This, this, again, is God's design that we're the salt of theirs. He, he wants his glory to come upon us where we shine right now. And, and, and the answer isn't look at me. The answer is look at Jesus. Look, look, look what the Lord has done. And and if you've deviated from the things of God and you've gotten off track today and and it's all about me, my pleasures and, and what I want for me. But here's the question today also. Is the word adulterer or the word adulteresses? Does that define me? See, have I broke my covenant vows with Jesus? And, and I, don't, I don't tell you what Jesus said there in Matthew 24 about these end times to put fear upon you. I tell you those to say, it's a time we wake up. We wake up and we ask Jesus to come into our heart and be Lord. And, and if I, I have broken that vow, if I've broken that covenant with him, what a day to come back home. What a day to come back home. And so right there where you're at, if that's you, I welcome you to come to the altar, your altar at home today, where you stand before the Lord Jesus and say, I've compromised. I've broken the covenant. I want to come home today, Lord Jesus, where I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. See, in these times right now, God's a God of grace. He said, I give grace to the humble. You know what a humble person says? Man, Father God, I gotta have you. I gotta, we need you, Father God. We welcome, we welcome you into our, our nation. We welcome you into the world. We welcome you into our home, our churches. We welcome you into our city right now, Father God. You're the God of miracles. You're the God who heals. You're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You're the light in darkness. So I'm going to have them sing here. And I ask you right now, not not for me, but your relationship with God to say, Father God, I open my heart to you. Go ahead, guys, and sing.
Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.